Hi, good morning church and welcome to the Sunday service here at the Free Community Church. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning, whether you're here joining us here on site or whether you're joining us here online. So glad that you have made the time to come and together to worship God, to gather around the ministry of the Word and to fellowship with one another. Now, as the pandemic restrictions are lifted, it's so much, it's so glad, I'm so glad to see so many more people joining us here on site. And if you are th uh, remote and you're actually able to join us on site, we do encourage you to join us. But for those on site, we want to encourage you to maybe turn to your neighbour, wave at them, say hello to them. You can actually shake their hands now. Um, <laughs> give them a hug now. You don't have to worry anymore about the pandemic restrictions. But if you're online, I do encourage you to also lean in and just uh, say hi and let us know where you are joining us from uh, this morning. We've come to a time uh, where today is the third week of Easter and um, it's also Mother's Day. So for those mothers who are joining us and any mothers in our midst, uh, very happy Mother's Day. Um, as we prepare for our time of worship this morning, would you please rise as you are able and willing to, to join us uh, to respond to the call to worship. Come in, come in and sit down. You are a part of the family. We, we are, are lost and, and we are found, found and, and we are, we part, are part of the, of the family. family. We know, God, that we who have gathered here are a part of the family, but we also know that family is much bigger still. There, there are people we don't understand. There are people we disagree with. There are people we don't like. There are people who don't like us. Challenge us, God, to expand our vision of family. Until, Until we, we see, see all of creation, creation as one, one big family. family. Amen. Amen. As we move in a time of worship with music, I do encourage you, if you are on site, you are more than, uh, than um, invited to remain standing. Um, and if you are online, we do encourage you also to lean in with as we lift our voices and join our hearts together for a time of worship. Now, before we go into a time of worship, I do want to say a few things, right? So, we have now uh, moved into a time where we're doing live worship once a month, and that's the beginning of the, uh, of the first Sunday of every month. So, today, some of this uh, uh, worship that you're watching is uh, pre-recorded segments. Now, some of us are going like, yeah, singing along to pre-recorded segments feels a little bit weird. Uh, because we don't have a worship team uh, in front of us. But I just want to share with you three things very quickly about coming together to worship, whether you're worshipping with us here on site or online. The first one about worship is that we're here to uh, lift up our hearts and voices, not because God needs it, not ne God needs to hear it, but because we need to remind ourselves of our own belovedness and who we are in God. So that's the reason why we, we, we lift our voice and we sing. But the second thing also is that when we sing, we actually don't just sing out, you know, um, because we're in a gathering, but we actually sing and minister to one another. And, you know, the presence of God in the Old Testament was mediated between the, uh, um, on the, in the tabernacle between the two angels, and the presence of God was in between them uh, from a time of worship. So worship, is, there's always a power of the presence of God when we come together and join our hearts and voices uh, together. And the third thing that I just want to, 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 to indicate to you all is that our worship is, um, is about what we give worth to, what we ascribe our worth to, and our voice makes our commitment known to ourselves and reminds ourselves and to the people around us. So I do encourage you to lift your voices, lift your hearts, and let's join our hearts together for a time of worship this morning. Good morning, 
church, let's put our hands together and sing praises to our God. Our God is faithful to us. Amen.
You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, an ocean steep, my faith will
keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours you are We now come to a time of prayer. On this Mother Day, Mother's Day, may we remember that God cares for us like a mother hen cares for her brood. God isn't just father, but mother as well. So we give thanks for all the mother and mothering figures in our lives. These figures who have nurtured us, nursed us, fed us, protected us, guided us, loved us. God, may you continue to strengthen them, surround them with wisdom, love and courage to continue the sacred work of mothering. We pray for Ba. Grand aunts, all the mothering figures in our midst. And I want to invite you to take some time now to bring them to mind. All these mothering figures in your lives. God, we know that this day may be difficult for some of us. We pray for mothers who are struggling, mothers who are remembering children who have died, and those of us who remember mothers who are no longer with us. We also pray for those who are not mothers, but mother others children in our world and for those who are moving forward from mothers who did not show them love or hurt them when they should cared for them and we pray for healing and perhaps reconciliation God we love in the ways we had been loved <laughs> 
So on this day, we honour this unyielding love for others we call motherhood, wherever we have found it. And in whatever ways we have found, found it, to cultivate this mother, mothering love within ourselves as well. May all of us learn to mother so we can break gendered ideas of how we are to love. So we can learn to love like you, God, the source of all life, who is father, mother, brother, sister, friend and lover, and still so much more. Amen. Land of my will by yours be done Shake my foundations till I come undone And let my walls fall to the ground Build my heart to face the sound Land of my will by yours be done Shame my foundations till I come undone And let my walls fall to the ground Build my heart to face the sound Of your voice calling me to rise from the dead I hear your voice Calling me to trust you instead I hear your voice Calling me to move out in faith I hear your voice I hear your voice I have been healed I'm whole again Thank you.
begin this morning, I wanted to wish all of our mothers a very happy and blessed Mother's Day. And I mean all mothers, like Myat said, right? Biological, adoptive, familial, spiritual, regardless of your gender. All of you who help care for, nourish and bring life to others. Happy Mother's Day. As you know, for our sermon uh, segment, we use Menti as a way for us to interact during the sermon time. And it's been amazing actually being able to hear your experiences, your insights, uh, your thoughts, even as we um, think about whatever it is that we're looking at in the sermon today. And so I want to invite you to get onto menti.com. Um, there are two ways, actually three ways, okay? You can do it. One, you have the QR code over there. You can you know, um, through the QR code, go into the Menti um, segment. Uh, if not, you can also type in menti.com and use the code 71776349. And we have a new way uh, since last week, and that is to go into fcc.la slash menti. Right? So if you just go into your web browser, you do fcc.la slash menti, it'll bring you to the menti segment for today. So whichever way works best for you, okay? I'll just give you a few moments just so that you can kind of um, get onto Menti because I'd love to hear your thoughts as we go along. Right? So today, we're talking about the raising of Tabitha. You know, it's very human for us to desire certainty. How many of you? Yes? For me, yes. We all want to have certainty regarding many things. Our faith, right? what we believe. Certainty regarding our relationships, like who we can trust. Certainty around our jobs, how we pay our bills, etc. And as a pastor, I often get asked questions like, how can you be so sure your interpretation of the Bible is correct? especially your understanding of the six corporate passages relating to homosexuality. My answer is that I am not 100% sure I am correct. All I am sure of 
is that I have kept my heart and my mind open as I did all the research that I could and allowed the Holy Spirit to guide me into the wisdom and understanding that only God could give. And I continue to keep my heart, mind and soul open to the leading of the Spirit. So a couple of weeks ago, we heard about Thomas. Thomas wanted to be certain that Jesus really rose from the dead. Until he saw with his own eyes and touched Jesus with his own hands, he couldn't believe. And Thomas wasn't alone. Like Myak said in his sermon two weeks ago, the other male disciples were no better. They scoffed when the women disciples told them the stone to the tomb had been rolled away and Jesus' body was nowhere to be found. And last week, Gary shared with us about Paul, how his physical sight was taken away for a while, but in the meantime, he gained spiritual sight. Before Paul, Saul became Paul, Saul reveled in the certainty of religion. He was so certain he was right, so certain about his own beliefs, that he persecuted and killed the followers of Jesus. For both Thomas and Saul, it took a personal encounter with Jesus to gain new insight and to expand the box of their minds and their hearts. From that moment on, their lives were changed forever. And today our lectionary passage leads us to the story of Tabitha or Dorcas. Her life was changed too, but in a different way. The reason we hear about Tabitha is because she unfortunately dies. And she was very well loved by her community, especially the group of widows that she was helping to take care of. Now, nothing can be more certain than death, right? I mean, when someone is dead, that is the end. But you know, Jesus' resurrection broke all the barriers and limits to what we consider possible. Even death does not always mean the end. And as if we needed to be reminded again, here is another story of resurrection that happened not long after Jesus' own resurrection. And this story of Tabitha happened right after Paul's awakening and transformation. And it tells us what was happening on Peter's end. And so allow me to just read um, the story for you from Acts 9. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity, and at time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda, Lydda is a place where Peter was at the time, was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with a request, please, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and he prayed. He turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave us his hand and helped her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. And this became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. 
And meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Now, we are told that Tabitha was a disciple of Jesus. And it's quite important because she's actually the only woman specifically named a female disciple. She actually had the term in Greek, female disciple, in the New Testament. And only she had that term. And we hear that Tabitha was devoted to good works and acts of charity. She was known especially as the one who was devoted to helping people, especially the widows. And we know that widows are that vulnerable group of people in ancient times, but also in current times. And they've always been a special concern for God, and in this case, for Tabitha. She saw the needs of these widows, and out of love and compassion, she used whatever privilege she had, whatever gift she had in sewing to help those who are most vulnerable. So when she gets sick and she dies, the widows, of course, they mourn. There's strong grief because to lose someone who cares for the weak and the vulnerable, whose life is committed to making a difference in the world, is a bitter loss. And given what we know about Jopa, the area, and her double name, you realize that she has her two names, Tabitha and Dorcas, we know that she's probably a Gentile convert to Christianity. So I'm going to start this morning with this first question, right? This is a word that we come across quite a bit in church. It's the word Gentile. What does the word Gentile mean? As far as you know, okay? I have a few options there to help you. Um, is Gentile someone who is non-Jew? Someone who is non-Christian? Someone who is non-Roman? Someone who is an outsider or outside of someone's tribe? Okay? Many choices there. Right? Ah, I see many of you chose someone who is non-Jew. Very good. Uh, quite a few of you for someone who is an outsider and a few who are non-Christian. Yep. Okay. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Definitely about double uh, of you who say someone who is non-Jew, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I totally get it, right? Because I used to think the word Gentile means anyone who is non-Jew, right? That's what we are most, that's the thing that we most often has heard in church. And due to tradition and Bible translations, this is the most common understanding of the word Gentile. But do you know that the Jews were not the only ones who used this word? At various points of history, the Romans, the Greeks, Jews, and even Christians all use the same term Gentiles to mean anyone other than themselves and their own group. You see, we humans have a general propensity to exclude those who do not belong to our own tribe or people group. And that's what Jesus came to do, right? To challenge our tribal tendencies, to proclaim that including all peoples to the ends of the earth was actually an essential part of God's plan for the ages, to include everyone. We know that because that's what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do after his resurrection, remember? And Luke emphasizes it again in Acts 1.8. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yeah, the plan begins in Jerusalem, and the end is the whole earth, including the wider Gentile world. Everyone you think is an outsider is meant to come inside. 
And this gospel would encompass everyone on earth and welcome them into the kingdom of God. So it's significant that Tabitha represents the Gentile convert to Christianity, who at that time was living at the fringe of the early Christian communities. If you remember in Acts, there was actually a lot of argument among the different apostles. What should we do with all these Gentile believers? Right? Do we circumcise them? Do we not? And all, all sorts of things, right? And so it's very significant that Peter is actually called to raise this Gentile convert from the dead. At the very time when Christian communities were debating if and how Gentiles should be included. And that's why Luke makes very sure to mention her name in both Aramaic and in Greek when he introduces her. He's very intentional about that. She is named Tabitha and Dorcas in Greek, which literally means gazelle. What's a gazelle? I wanted to show you a picture of it. And this is important, right? Gazelle is a word that actually comes from an older Arabic word for love. Isn't it interesting? It actually comes from this word for love. And that's the name given to this very beautiful creature. And for some of us, you may call it an antelope. Right? In the Bible, you'll hear a lot about gazelles. We don't often encounter gazelles in Singapore, but gazelles were very common in the Middle East. And Pastor Don Hutchins says the writer of the book of Acts would have known, just as well as his listeners, that the mere mention of a docus gazelle would have conjured up images of something very crucial to the Jewish listener. You see, the word gazelle means love. Who else was called love? God, right? God is love. And in Jewish art, the gazelle is actually used as a symbol for Yahweh. But even more interesting than that, the gazelle was used to illustrate the life-giving aspect of Yahweh, the part of God that gives life. So Tabitha, and then Luke says, that is Dorcas in Greek, the gazelle, is named after Yahweh who is love, the one who gives life. And it's even more symbolic that God breathes life back again into this person who gave life to many while she was living. So the disciples ask Peter to come to Joppa, and when he arrives, he's taken to Tabitha's body. And we are told that the widows were all gathered there, right? They were crying, they were showing Peter all the clothing that doctors had made for them. And you need to understand, during that time, right, to make clothing was actually a very valuable thing because it was expensive and difficult to make clothing and material was expensive. So it was very special for them. It was very much an act of love that doctors did for her people. And there's something very real and precious about this verse, right? I mean, can you picture the scene? The tears of grief, pride, look at this, love. See what she made for us, Peter. She was so talented. She took care of so many people. She's truly a disciple of Jesus. These women that Tabitha looked after with such love, their lives were shaped by her, and they couldn't help sharing the influence that she had had on them. And so I just kind of wanted to turn this back to us. 
And to ask you this question, right, it's a little bit startling, but <laughs> I wanted to ask you, imagine if you were to die tomorrow, right? I hope not, okay? But imagine if you did, right? What would people say of you? What words would people use to describe you? What kind of legacy would you have left? Right? And, and okay, I'm going to remind you, uh, Menti is anonymous. So it's okay to say nice things about yourself, okay? <laughs> Nobody's going to judge you and go, yo, so proud, uh, you know? You think people will say that? <laughs> Nobody will know who said what, okay? So just say whatever that you think people, what will they say of you if you were to die tomorrow, right? Whoa, handsome boy. Rip. Oh, <laughs> funny man. Okay, la. Okay, such a pity. Yeah. Oh, such a waste, right? Wow, finally. <laughs> okay, la. Some of you quite evil, la. Yeah. Friendly, bitchy, okay. humble, helpful, easygoing, loved Indian food. <laughs> Something that people will remember of you. Brave, yes. Sweet, a good man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of you will say loving. I love that, right? That people remember you as loving, as filial, as friendly. You know, those three words are standing out, right? More. Add value to me. <laughs> wants to help everyone, yeah? Yeah. Determined. Eat too much. <laughs> uh, I think that's many of us. <laughs> Heart of gold. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, quiet person, yeah. Moody. Direct, loyal, right? Some of you say no one will care. Hmm. Helpful, too strict. <laughs> yeah. Lots of things there, but loving and kind seem to be really big things there. Love it. Yeah, somebody who is motherly, yeah. and especially for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you. <laughs> A good leader, wow. Yeah. Okay, all kinds of things, huh? <laughs> some good, some uh, I cannot read out, huh? Yeah, but, but thank you for being so honest and for you know, engaging with this exercise, right? Even though I give you startling questions from time to time, right? So, in Dawkins' case, Peter orders everyone out of the room, you know, and after he prays, he turns to the body of Tabitha. He says, Tabitha, get up. And she does. She opens her eyes, she sees Peter, she sits up. And he takes her hand and he helps her stand. And then Peter calls everyone back in and he shows them that Tabitha is alive. And then word spreads and people come to believe in Jesus because of this amazing thing that has happened. There is a similar story in the Gospel of Luke, if you remember if this story has echoes, right? In Luke 8, Jesus actually raises a young girl, the daughter of a man named Jairus, from the dead. There are many similarities between that story and this one about Tabitha. And I think Luke is trying to tell us something here. Luke is trying to show us how the work that Peter is doing now is a continuation of what Jesus was doing. Even after Jesus is no longer physically present, to guide Peter. The work that Peter is doing now is an embodiment of the work of Jesus. And the power that Jesus had is now in Peter and in the other disciples. 
The work of Jesus didn't die, but is alive. Just as Jesus didn't die, but was resurrected. The work of God is alive, and God continues to move. And that's what Luke wants us to know, and why I think Tabitha is raised. Luke is showing us that Peter is doing the work of Jesus. My friends, I believe we are called to step into that same role too. If we too are disciples, then we embody Jesus too. And we are given the power of the Holy Spirit to do amazing things, to breathe life into dead spaces, and to live out new life and resurrection in the world. But how can we do that? How can we be agents of resurrection and life in a world as we embody Jesus whom we follow? That's a tough question. Because I suspect many of us have never raised someone from physical death in God's name. Not that it's impossible. I read testimonies from various parts of the world where Christians have witnessed such things. But what I want us to know and want us to rethink about is that in a much broader context, I believe we are all, each one of us, called to breathe life into the places of death in the world around us, of the people around us who are in need, of our broken systems, of our broken relationships, of our broken society, of our broken earth. So, just let me ask you, right, just so that we can gather some ideas together, right, what was something that someone did for you that was life-giving? So you may be wondering, right, what does it mean to give life to others? So I wanted to invite you to think a little bit about your own life. Has anyone in your life ever did something for you that you said, oh, that was really life-giving. That kind of just really encouraged me at a time when I needed it. <laughs> giving birth to me, yes! Absolutely, in every way, right? That was life-giving. <laughs> but very close to that is actually being present, right? Being present for someone after you've been given birth, like, then you know, people cannot give birth to you again but they can continue to be there for you, to be present for you. Spending quality time, company without words, all of that uh, is actually the same as being present, right? right. Encouraging, right? to encourage. Presence, unconditional love, accepting who I am, creating a safe space, kind words in hardship, showing up for me, <laughs> And sometimes in hilarious banter. I love that. Constructive feedback, maybe, right? That's helpful too. Send food at, to, a new, to you at your new workplace. Ask if I was okay. Listening. A hug. Being present. Hugging me. Listening. All of that. A smile. Yeah. Those are the bigger words, right? They encompass a lot of the things that you are saying. It's actually being there, showing up. Isn't it interesting that we actually give life by being there for some, someone? 
especially at their points of needs. When Peter raises Tabitha to life, we're told she opens her eyes. Attention is drawn to the eyes because once they're open, you know life has been restored. The open eyes are a symbol of life, especially of divine life. And this reminds me of what Gary shared about last week regarding the opening of spiritual eyes, what it means to gain hindsight, foresight, and insight. A few weeks ago, I listened to this podcast by Brene Brown and Richard Raw on spirituality, certitude, and infinite love. And I found it mind-blowing, heart-expanding, and soul-stirring. It's on Brene Brown's uh, Unlocking Us podcast series. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I would really encourage you to give it a listen. Some of the concepts that Father Richard shared in the podcast are found in his book, Falling Upward. Falling Upward. I've always found uh, Richard Raw's books thought-provoking, and I enjoy reading his daily reflections from the Centre for Action and Contemplation. But I have to say that Falling Upward is one of his books that really impacted me and continues to challenge me even now. I first read this book quite a number of years ago when I was going through several transitions and upheavals in my life at that time. And perhaps it was exactly the right time for me to be reading this book. Definitely what I would call divine coincidence. If I could quickly summarise the book for you, and it's very hard to quickly summarise a book like this. The phrase, two halves of life, was first popularised by the psychologist Carl Jung. And basically, Jung said that there were two major tasks in life, two major tasks for us to accomplish. In the first half of life, you've got to find your identity, your significance, you create your ego boundaries, your ego structure, what Raw calls the creating of a container. So the first half of life, we're all kind of building our containers, okay? trying to get things going. But that's just what gets you started. In the second half of life, once you've created your ego structure, you finally have the courage to ask, what is this all for? Right? Some of you are there, right? You're asking that question. What am I supposed to do with all this? What's the purpose of life? Is it just to protect my ego? Is it to promote it, to defend it? Or is there some deeper purpose? So the search for meaning is the task of the second half of life. And Ross said that this is not always a chronological thing, right? It's not just because you grow older, you become wiser, right? He said he's met 11-year-old children in cancer wards who are in the second half of life. And he's also met 68-year-old men who are still in the first half of life. So this journey into the second half of life is especially important for us, people of faith, who are seeking a deeper relationship with God. And this is because often we have made the teachings of Jesus actually largely into like an evacuation plan for the next world, right? Believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven in the next world. So we don't take this world very seriously. We don't take this life, this earth, what's happening here, right here and now, very seriously. But this further journey has to happen in this world. Why? Because we are living in God's kingdom now. 
eternal life has already begun now. And like Peter, we have a role to play in breathing life, new life, in the places of death in this world. But often, we're not ready to step into the second half of life until we go through some kind of falling, a crisis, a life transition, some kind of suffering. Most of our concern in the first half of life is about rising, achieving, accomplishing, performing. But at some point, something will happen and you'll feel like you're falling. But if you can find grace or freedom in and through that falling, you find that it moves you forward, upward, broader, deeper, better, towards growth. And that's just the opposite of what we first think when we fall, right? Or fail or lose. We think, oh, everything is gone, it's collapsed. But maybe God is doing something new with us, deeper, broader, upward. The question of why suffering is necessary is probably the greatest and the most difficult and problematic question in Christian theology. And last week, you know, I had um, one of our congregants just tell me, you know, that is one of the most difficult issues to work through, right? Why is there suffering? How is God good if there's so much suffering on this earth? And I think there's no answer that satisfies the rational mind. It's hard. But if I could, one thought that we could think about is that as Kao Yong and many others have said, suffering is the only thing strong enough to defeat the imperial ego, the big ego. In other words, when you're in control, when you're in charge, looking good, building your tower of success, you get so addicted to it that you think that's all there is to life. Keep building more, taller, higher. But when that all falls apart, you realize that it's largely a self-constructed game. And you've been building your own little kingdom and not what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And most spiritual teachers will agree that the preoccupations of the first half of life won't get you into the big picture, which Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And you can recognize a second half of life person by a kind of inner outpouring, a kind of inner generativity. They generate life. They're not guarded. They're not overly self-protected. They're looking for ways to give themselves away because they're now living out of their own abundance and they find that it's overflowing. They can't help it. So Raw gives the example of Maya Angelou, and many of you have heard about her. And he has met her, and he says, when she talks, you yourself feel grounded, because she is. You want to be compassionate, because you can feel the compassion in her very voice. You want to have soft eyes, because you see her soft eyes. It almost comes true non-verbally, and you especially see her concern about others. So the second half of life people are generative people. They are people who have learned to give back. They know that if they've been given to abundantly, so they say, okay, I've got 
plenty. I've got enough. In fact, I've been given more than enough, and the only thing that makes sense now is to give away this generous grace that has been handed to me when so many people in the world have never experienced it. So in the second half of life, there's an increased empathy and a universal caring for all. Doesn't this sound like Tabitha and the many who have gone before us, who poured out love and grace into our lives and the lives of others? I believe we all aspire to live meaningful and purposeful lives. I think that's why we're here today. But often, most of us are sleepwalking through life. We're just responding to all the demands that life throws at us, our work, family, ministry, relationships, etc. Sometimes we need a jolt to remind us that there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger picture. And so now comes the jolt. Another startling question. <laughs> Imagine you almost died tomorrow and were given a second chance at life. Okay, like Tabitha, well, in her case, she died, but she was brought back into life. She was given a second chance at life. So imagine if you almost died tomorrow and you were given a second chance at life. How would you live differently? Would you do anything differently? Or would you continue living as you do now? Some of you say, I wouldn't live any differently. Great! It means that you're kind of living in whatever way that, you know, in the optimal way that you want. To forgive more easily, to stop pursuing things that don't matter. I think that's the thing about death and life, right? When you've been given a second chance at life, you start to be very clear about priorities, what matters and what doesn't. I will love more myself and others, be more filial and patient towards my mom. Self-love. Mm -hmm. Quit my job. Yeah. To live with God rather than live with the world. Be generous. Not much differently. Yeah. Reach out to others. I want to give more to others, to serve others more, to work less, to know my priorities. Living my second chance at life now, wow, I'm glad. A greater drive to achieve my life goals. Mm -hmm. To stop having such ADHD behaviour, just the same. Living the same way, maybe a little more compassion. I prefer to die and live with Jesus. To study harder, well, to live in gratitude. Go for a walk with my partner. Some of these things are all possible to do. Even today, when we still have time, we can still live in gratitude. We can still go for a walk with the people that matter to us. We can still practice a little bit more compassion. Through Thomas, we learn that doubt can be an important step towards faith and growth. But it doesn't just stop there. Through Paul, we learn that we need to stop depending on our superficial sight and gain true sight, hindsight, foresight and insight through setting aside time to reflect. And that's for the past two weeks, right? And this week, as we look at Tabitha's story, we learn what it means to not limit God. God is about including everyone, everyone, not just those within your tribe. 
God is about breaking the barriers and limits to what we consider possible. Even death does not have the last say. For each of us, the challenge is to let God break down the barriers and limits of what you think is possible and invite you into new life, the second half of life. Some of you may know Rachel Held Evans, who passed away in 2019 at the age of 37. She was an influential writer, a significant figure in contemporary Christianity. She was raised in an evangelical household, and she spent much of her adult life challenging the evangelical church and the harmful role that conservative American culture plays in Christianity. So in her books and her talks, she called for an intersectional approach to Christianity to embrace people, everyone, people of colour, LGBTQ people, and women in all roles in the church. And she fiercely insisted that God's love included everyone, and she attempted to offer those who had been shunned by the church a way to return, especially LGBTQ people. So like other progressive millennial Christian leaders, she believed that Jesus' life and teachings embodied a radically inclusive love. In many ways, I consider her somewhat like the modern-day Tabitha or Dorcas. Although she wasn't raised back to physical life, like Tabitha, her writing and all that she did during her short life continues to live on and to breathe new life into people and communities. She wrote a reflection on resurrection that I think continues to be poignant during this time. She said, I'm reminded of the one thing all we Christians have in common. Whether we're evangelical, Roman Catholic, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Greek Orthodox, Seventh-day Adventist, Anabaptist, Quaker, or something in between, we are resurrection people. Our God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. So if you want in on God's business, we better prepare to follow God to all the rock bottom, scorched earth, dead on arrival corners of this world, including those in our own hearts. Because that's where God works. That's where God gardens. There's no ladder to holiness to climb, no self-improvement plan to follow. It's just death and resurrection over and over again, day after day, as God reaches down into our deepest graves and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, rests us from our pride, our apathy, our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, and our despair. Most days, she says, I don't know which is harder for me to believe. That God reanimated the brain functions of a man three days dead? Or that God can bring back to life all the beautiful things we have killed? Both seem pretty unlikely to me. This never-ending winter has felt like one long Easter Saturday. But Sunday's coming. I can feel it. Her words remain and continue to move many hearts. We are resurrection people, brought into wholeness in Christ. So let us embrace ourselves, our gifts, our challenges, our fallings fully. And with God's grace and love, let us embrace our call and our purpose. There's so much death in our world around us today. A pandemic, illness, war. The deadly effects of climate change, 
poverty, racism, all kinds of hate. There's so much death that we often feel helpless. But in such times, we can find hope as we remember Tabitha, who breathed new life into the dead spaces of a community of widows. And her love carried on because God, through Peter, breathed new life into her. God is also breathing new life into you and me. God is inviting you to rise up, to enter the second half of life filled with purpose, hope, and the willingness to give life to others. So let us choose to rise up, to move forward, and to join those who have gone before us in breathing new life into the places of death around them. This is what it means to live as resurrection people. This is how we proclaim that Christ is risen indeed. Easter reveals to us that death is not the end of the story. Death does not have the final say. In his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death and breathed forth new life. So may we rise up and join him and Tabitha and many others in this life-giving work. Amen. We've now come to a time of Holy Communion, so I invite those who are at home to take a moment to prepare your elements so that we can all partake of this meal together. We gather each Sunday at this table, even though at this time we are all not, we're not all physically together. The table of God's feast transcends time and space because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we practice an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of the FCC. You do not have to be baptized. You only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. Altogether, God, God of, of mercy and justice, and justice be, with be with us. We, we lift our hearts to you, not because we have to, not because we are supposed to, but because it's how we respond to your unconditional love, because it feels good to know we are loved. As long as there have been people to tell them, our ancestors in faith have shared stories of your mercy, of how you gave food to the poor, clothes to the naked, and shelter to the lost. As long as there have been people to tell them, our ancestors in faith have shared stories of your justice, of, of how, how you gave freedom, freedom to the enslaved, opportunity to the outcast, and peace to the war-torn. You acted with both mercy and justice, rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, providing them with manna when they were hungry. And your people acted with both mercy and justice, like the prophets who cried out to care for widow, orphan, and foreigner and those who provided food, shelter, and community. You have shared your mercy and justice with us, not only as gifts to be received from you, but as gifts that we are to share with the world. We see this gift most clearly in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus showed us what a life of mercy and justice looked like. 
In mercy, he gave food to the hungry. With justice, he broke social custom and shared tables with the powerful and the lowly at once. In mercy, he cared for the sick. With justice, he broke religious custom and healed on the Sabbath. In mercy, he had compassion for the poor. With justice, he spoke out against the empire that held them in poverty. In mercy, he washed his disciples' feet. With justice, he died without protest to expose a corrupt system. On the night he was handed over to the unjust system that killed him, he protested by sharing a meal with his friends. There he took bread, gave thanks for God's mercy in providing it, shared God's mercy by giving it to his friends, then called them to remember the injustice of his broken body every time they ate bread. After they ate, he took the cup, gave thanks for God's mercy in providing it, shared God's mercy by giving it to his friends, then called them to remember the injustice of his spilt blood every time they drank wine. But, but that, that wasn't, wasn't all. God's mercy and justice burst forth when Jesus died, and his resurrection gave hope to all those who hunger for mercy and thirst for justice. God will always equip those who seek to share mercy and justice even death cannot stop God's incredible grace. So we ask God's Holy Spirit to be poured out on this meal, on these gifts of mercy, bread and juice, that we may remember Jesus' ministry of mercy and justice, that these gifts of mercy may become for us the body and blood of Christ, so that we may show mercy and do justice, not just for ourselves, but for the transformation of the world. May I invite the lovely stewards to come forward to distribute the elements of which we all partake together.
Let's partake the elements with gratefulness. May I invite you to please stand if you're willing and able. Let's say this together. God, God through, through this meal, we pray, pray that your grace would empower us to do justice, to offer mercy, and to do so with humility. You have given us your Son as an example and your Holy Spirit as advocate. Give us the courage to do your work in the world. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Hi, good morning, and uh, welcome again to the Sunday service of the Free Community Church. Uh, first, I just want to thank um, Pastor Pauline for that sermon. I don't know about you, but uh, this sermon series has really helped me to begin to take a fresh look of what it means to be an Easter people, to be resurrection people, and um, how we are called to lives of transformation and to live differently in the same way that the disciples were transformed by the encounters with the living God. You know, some great questions uh, today that uh, Pastor Pauline uh, asked us to reflect on in the sermon. I pray that uh, we'll go back and use the principles of reflection to be able to help us to think about how we want to live differently. And then, you know, take one or two of them and put them into action as we feel, feel led to. Because that's what real transform- where real transformation begins, which is our faith, uh, when our faith becomes action. So thank you all again um, for all your contributions uh, to the sermon uh, through the Menti series. And pl- please continue to join us for the rest of the Easter Encounter uh, sermon series so that we can learn what it means to live as resurrection people. Let's um, use this moment to also introduce and welcome um, all of those who are maybe joining us here um, for our Sunday service for the first time. Whether you're here new with us here on site or whether you're new with us joining online, a very warm welcome home. Uh, we want to uh, let you know that you're very, very much welcome here. FCC is a, excuse me, FCC is an inclusive Christian community. This means that we welcome you to come just as you are, regardless of who you are or where you come from. Um, if you are new with us, I, we do encourage you to allow us to be, get in touch with you by uh, inviting you to leave your details at fcc.la/welcome. This will allow our uh, church staff um, to reach out to you to firstly invite you to our newcomers meeting. The next one's happening on the 29th of May. Uh, and also for the pastors to reach out to you to see how we can serve you and how we can make this uh, your community and create a, a place where you can belong um, as well. So if you are new with us, please do go to that URL or you can scan the QR code. We're now going to continue our time together by worshipping with our giving. And just like we've lifted, come and join our hearts together for a time of worship with music, we're going to come around um, the offering today as well, which is also a way that we worship together. Now, worshipping, you know, through our our giving, is not just just putting money into a bag. There is actually a a very spiritual exercise because we are 
you know, operating um, not just here as a charity, but we are a faith community and we are looking to be able to resource God's work and put it into action. And I want to read uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is a promise to all who actually participate in the building of God's house and also into the giving of this um, and resourcing of this ministry. And this is a promise uh, for each and every one of us, which I'd like to encourage us around. So this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. And it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, uh, for food, that's God, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the need of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. The giving that you put in today allows FCC to continue our witness as a church and be able to resource all of the things that God has called us uh, to, to, uh, to do and to be. So I just want to thank you in advance for your generosity and for the witness that you are. Would you, um, the, there is a th uh, three ways that you can give this um, morning. Um, you can scan the QR codes there if you want to uh, give by pay now. Uh, you can also uh, give by credit card at freecomchurch.give.asia. Or um, in a moment after we pray, um, the stewards will come around if you want to put some uh, cash into the offering bags. So with that, can I invite us to just uh, take a moment to pause and give thanks uh, for the giving today. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for your presence in our lives, for calling us to be your people. God, we want to acknowledge that you are the sower that gives us good gifts so that we can be that same blessing into the world around us. God, help us to be able to steward these gifts that we receive effectively for the work of building your kingdom, for the work that you are calling us to, to be the witness of this resurrection community that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Can I invite the stewards to come forward to receive the giving? And if you want to put money into the bag, can I just invite you to raise your hand and the steward will come to you. While the stewards are coming around, um, we have got a few announcements uh, for you this morning. Uh, two specifically. Uh, the first one uh, that we have is a big thank you note. So some of you know that last week we actually um, went as part of the Team Up project in FCC. We went around to help to do the deliver some of the groceries um, that you have donated uh, to some of the older transgender folk um, um, who live around Singapore. So there is a, a, a word of thanks that I, I want to convey. And it says here, um, a very big thank you to everyone who gave and supported this project in some way. Because of your generous support and contributions, we were, not, uh, we were able to not just only collect donations for the food and groceries, but a team of our volunteers also helped to pack and deliver the groceries to the transgender recipients. This begins a new milestone for FCC in the way that we can serve and engage with our transgender elderlies. So there'll be more recipients and locations to deliver in future T-Mart collection drives and so do consider and get ready of how you might like uh, to help and to join the team. 
and you are invited, if you want to be helping or to organize this, uh, to email info at freecomchurch.org uh, for more information and to sign up there. So thank you everyone uh, for participating and for your generosity. The second announcement, um, as you can see in those big three words there, is we need you. Um, as we are moving towards um, you know, uh, having uh, really hybrid services um, as part of the way that we um, do our Sunday services, one big aspect of, of, of uh, this ministry is um, the video production ministry, which, uh, uh, which helps with both the pre-recording of the worship elements as well as for the live worship and as well as the, um, the, to bring the uh, ser Sunday services uh, to the online audience uh, every Sunday. Uh, we have got the video production ministry that helps us to do that. And uh, the video production ministry uh, is a growing ministry that needs volunteers, especially around camera operations. Now, uh, you can see around here that we've got some cameras, but they are unmanned today except for, you know, one, one of our cameras uh, there. And so we are short of staff um, and uh, we need your help. Um, and so the video production ministry is uh, uh, looking for volunteers. Now, um, you do not need any knowledge of how to do this. You, you just have to have a willing heart and an interest in this ministry. Um, we have got the next training uh, coming up for Camera Operation Fundamentals. That's going to be held here in FCC on the 21st of May uh, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then there will be a practice session for those people who, are going to, uh, who want to actually not just learn the theory, but also put that theory into practice on the 4th of June from 10 a.m. Uh, to 12 p.m. So, you know, uh, we'll try uh, to see how many people are able to make it for these trainings. But most importantly is the first, uh, once you uh, are interested to sign up, uh, info at freecomchurch.org, and then we'll get in touch with you to be able to include you in this training and send you uh, more details. Uh, so please do help us uh, uh, to consider whether this is an area of church life that you can volunteer in. All right, with that, I'm going to turn the time now to Miak uh, to give us the benediction uh, this morning. May I invite you to stand to receive the benediction? Dear resurrected people, know that there are parts of your life that may be dead, that may be broken, but also know that God can breathe life into these spaces and transform these spaces and bring that brokenness, that dead parts of you back to life so that you may go out to be the witnesses just like Tabitha's resurrection show what God can do and bless the world and participate in its transformation and the work, the work God has called us to do. Remember, we are Easter people. We are people of life, not death. We are people of love. So go out to proclaim love and life always in all parts of your life. Go in peace always in the name of Jesus, the resurrected one. Amen. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. Look forward to seeing you next week.